Today's episode of The Andy Staples Show is brought to you by Robinhood. With Robinhood, you can invest in stocks, options, and ETFs right from your phone. You can even spend and earn interest on uninvested cash. And with fractional shares, you can buy stocks at any amount, including companies like Apple, Amazon, and Tesla, for as little as $1. And that's with no commission fees or account minimums. So whether you're new to investing and ready to learn or just looking for a better experience, stop waiting and join the 10 million Robinhood users. Listeners can get started with a free stock by going to staplesshow.robinhood.com. That's staplesshow, all one word, .robinhood.com. All investments involve risk. This is not an investment advice, a recommendation, or a solicitation of any security. Other fees may apply. Visit rbnhd.co slash fees. The free stock program is subject to certain limitations. Annual percentage yield on an uninvested cash is paid by program banks and is variable. Robinhood Financial is not a bank. Welcome to the Andy Staples Show Retrospective Edition. Before we head on, turn the page, turn the calendar to 2020, we need to put a bow on 2019. And I think the best way to do that is with the sounds of 2019, the quotes of 2019, the words that took us through a pretty amazing interesting football season. I've been going back through a bunch and it just, it's amazing to me how different things turned out than what we thought. And we weren't talking about LSU winning the national title. We thought they'd be good, but we went into the season thinking it was another Alabama Clemson national title game. And uh, it was going to be Tua and Trevor again. Well, it didn't quite work out that way. Trevor was in the national title game. Tua was injured against Mississippi state and didn't play again. And that was the end of his college career. Uh, Just a strange year, but a very fascinating one. And I feel like we need to start and just go chronologically. So we'll start in July with Nebraska coach Scott Frost talking about something that didn't make any sense to me when it happened. And I don't think it made a lot of sense to him either. And he was pretty prescient here. I don't care who people are picking. I I don't. There's a lot of really good teams in our league. Um, A lot of teams that beat us last year that we didn't beat. Um, I know we're better. We're better than we were a year ago. Um, But we still have to go out and earn anything. Uh, Picks are picks. Guesses are guesses. Uh, 90% of the time you guys are wrong when you guess things. I want our kids to have expectations. We're just not going to talk about them much in the program. But... um, I don't want to have another Christmas at home until I'm retired. That's Scott Frost, and, and it's actually two quotes mashed together from Big Ten Media Days. Uh, the one about Christmas at home is a separate question he was answering. But the first one was about the preseason expectations. Remember, Nebraska and Michigan were picked by the reporters who cover the Big Ten to win the Big Ten. Now, if you were listening to this podcast from the beginning, you know I was a little shocked by both those picks. Neither one made a whole lot of sense because we all thought Nebraska would be better. I just didn't know how much better they'd be in a division where it felt like everybody was getting better. And then the Michigan thing made no sense because I wanted to see them beat Ohio State before we even thought about picking them to win the Big Ten East. So the Nebraska thing obviously did not work out the way 
everybody expected, except maybe Scott Frost. They were better. They were one game better than they were in 2018, but they were not what they were supposed to be. And it's it's just been disappointing the, the time that Scott Frost has been at Nebraska. He made pretty clear in year one that it was a teardown job, that Mike Riley didn't leave much in the cupboard, and he had a lot of work to do. But year two did not go nearly as well as year two at UCF did for Scott Frost. Obviously, that was an undefeated season for him. You expected that. It's a tougher league. He actually had a harder job that he inherited at Nebraska than he did at UCF. But... I just didn't know if it was going to be this hard. I, I thought he'd have them on a little better trajectory. Uh, they just changed offensive coordinators. Troy Walters is out. Matt Lubick, who worked with Frost at Oregon, is in. We'll see how that goes. I mean, remember, the guy who calls the plays? Scott Frost. So I am curious to see where that goes from here. But that has not gone the way the folks at Nebraska plan, and it certainly made us all look stupid in terms of our predictions. But the good news is, we're always wrong with those predictions, so we should probably be used to it by now. Let's get into the season. And I, Early on, I, I, one of my favorite quotes, BYU and Utah opened up the season, and this is a just bitter rivalry. These programs absolutely hate one another, and Utah won. And this was kind of showing us what Utah could be and, and how special a season they might have. Now, it did not end the way they wanted to. They got crushed by Oregon in the Pac-12 title game. They lost to Texas in their bowl game, which was its very unusual for Utah to lose a bowl game like that. But for a while, it was pretty awesome for Utah. They had a great year, and it started with this win over BYU. And TV reporter Jeremiah Jensen asked Tyler Huntley, Utah's quarterback, about beating BYU and never losing to them. You're going to leave Utah without a loss to BYU. How much pride do you take in that? We never gonna lose to them. They, they so poo poo. <laughs> y'all can tweet. Y'all can tweet that. No, they so poo poo. He's a senior. Yeah, I'm a junior. That. I gotta stay here. <laughs> they hate each other in that rivalry. I cannot reiterate that enough. That is why you have the senior quarterback who never has to play them again and doesn't have to worry about any cheap shots next year calling them poo poo. But that was kind of a theme of. Of the early season, I think. Uh, our great beat writer, Scott Docterman, who covers Iowa, sent me just an incredible quote. His favorite quote that he got all season. And this is when Iowa played Rutgers. And Tristan Wirfs, Iowa's offensive tackle, was flipping between the left side and the right side throughout the game. And the reporters were curious about what that's like. Is it hard to do that? Does it require a lot of mental adjustment? Wirfs was... Uh, pretty brutally honest about the whole thing. Yeah. You know, how are you able to so look so good out there? Um, I think you just got to be confident in yourself. Like, it does feel awkward. Like, it's kind of like, you know, wiping your butt with the other hand when you first start doing it. Um, it's, you know, it just feels awkward. Not, it might be too much information, but um, that's kind of what it is. But once you settle in, um, you know, you, you feel pretty good. Yeah. The best part is that is how everybody just sort of moves on to the next question. He finishes that answer and you're, yeah, okay. Uh, very quick subject change if you hear the rest of that tape, but he's not wrong on that. It's it's weird switching from a left-handed stance to a right-handed stance, and I thought that was the perfect analogy. And again, I don't mean to go overly negative, overly scatological, but this is the early season theme. That's just that's just how it went. Uh, another theme early in the season, 
and it kind of continued throughout the season for poor Northwestern. Their offense was just awful this year. It was as bad as it's been under, under Pat Fitzgerald. He knew it. His staff knew it. His players knew it. There wasn't much they could do about it. He got asked about it after a game, and he just, you know, kind of unloaded because there wasn't much you could say at this point. When you say you, we need to execute and, and we need to get our players to, to play cleaner, does that mean that you're, you're satisfied with the, with the offensive game plan the way it is and you guys just need to, to execute that game plan better? Well, we just take 90 hours and play Wii and golf all week. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I mean what do you think? Yeah, I'm, I, I go into every game plan expecting it to work, to be quite honest with you. I, I understand there's 40,000 experts on Twitter that can call plays for me, so my email address is hashtag I don't care. Okay, so shoot that out. We got to be better, uh, and we're going to work to be better. So anybody that's negative, I respect it, and I don't care. I tried that email address. It bounced back. I, I, I don't know why that didn't work. I had some suggestions, some play calls that I thought the Wildcats could make, but could not get through. I'm guessing because he just publicly announced it like that, that maybe we filled up the mailbox and there's just there was no way to get more mail through. Or potentially Pat Fitzgerald does not quite understand the naming conventions of the internet because he's either busy too, too busy coaching football or, as he put it, playing Wii and golf for 90 hours a week. I, I would like to see the the Wii tournaments, and and he knows that everybody's onto VR now, right? Like it's it's all the Oculus stuff. We're not doing the Wii anymore, are we? So I I got a ten year old. This is all I think about most of the time. So it was a pretty rough year for Northwestern, but interesting year in the rest of the Big Ten West. And you know, we we talked about the two teams that were the most disappointing, Northwestern and Nebraska, but Minnesota was fantastic. They had an amazing year. Wisconsin bounced back from a pretty bad year, wound up winning the division, going to the Rose Bowl, probably should have won the Rose Bowl against Oregon, but some critical turnovers. Uh, it was just a fascinating year in the Big Ten in general. You know, Ohio State loses Urban Meyer. You think, okay, is this when they finally take a step back? Oh, no, they were better. <laughs> they were better in Ryan Day's first year than they were in Urban Meyer's last year. And so... You know, I think the Big Ten, when we come around to Big Ten Media Days next year, we can probably just go ahead and slot Ohio State in and assume they're going to win the title and stop trying to be creative on that because we need to see somebody actually beat them before we start making these wild assumptions. Now, let's move to the SEC, where Georgia was the favorite to win the SEC East going in, won the SEC East, but not without drama. There was a game in October between the hedges that I think shocked every single person in the country, probably shocked the guy you're about to hear from, Will Muschamp, South Carolina's coach. Now, obviously, Muschamp, a proud Georgia alum, played there. He's coaching South Carolina now. This was the game where he debuted his reading glasses. And Will Muschamp, who's always looked like a pretty young guy, no matter how old he gets, when he put those reading glasses on, suddenly kind of look like your grandpa and it was a little bit jarring but here's the thing it worked South Carolina upset Georgia that day uh, horrible day for Jake Fromm the Georgia quarterback it was uh, three interceptions for him and neither coach really covered himself in glory toward the end of the game with their end of game decisions but South Carolina came out with the victory after the game Muschamp was asked about the eyewear 
I guess, well, I'm just curious, what prompted the glasses tonight? And I guess, is that going to tradition yeah. that's going to stick around? Uh, yeah. Well, you know what? I'm getting old. And I, and I can't read anymore, especially at night. It's been a <laughs> I got more gray hair than I've ever had. My wife doesn't like hanging around losers. I've been losing, so, I mean, it ain't been good, you know? Yeah, that is Will Muschamp, and, and, you know, says his wife doesn't like hanging around losers. He, he was like that in, at Florida after the 2013 season when they went 4-8. He was very self-effacing and, and really took that well as well as you could, I guess. Now, the, this did not go as well as the season went on, and South Carolina just really underwhelmed. Uh, the Georgia win was the high point, and everything went downhill from there. And he got to the end of the season, and people were really wanting to fire Will Muschamp, but his buyout was so high, $19 million, because of a contract extension that was given to him after they won nine games and beat Michigan in the Outback Bowl a couple of years ago, that there really wasn't anything South Carolina could do about that. They are, they're dealing with Will Muschamp. Now, he has revamped his staff. We'll see where it goes. But it was very interesting for former teammates Will Muschamp and Kirby Smart because Kirby did go ahead and win the SEC East. They beat Florida. They won the rest of their games. But they got shelled by LSU in the SEC championship game. And then the, the questions about the offense just lingered most of the year. And, you know, they lose Jim Chaney to Tennessee before the season, the offensive coordinator. They replace him. Well, they didn't replace him. They promote James Coley to offensive coordinator. And that just it didn't seem to work. It was a very sluggish offense. Kirby Smart swore they weren't trying to play what he calls man ball, that they were trying to, to open things up when they could or when it was necessary. But when you look at what LSU did, and it was such stark contrast in that SEC championship game, LSU had changed the entire DNA of its offense. That was the story of this season, really. It was LSU's offense and Joe Burrow. And they were flat-out unstoppable. Georgia had a great defense in 2019, and LSU had toyed with them. And I asked Kirby Smart after the game, you know, is that something, can you, can you learn from LSU? Can you take a lesson from that? And he was pretty defensive because he said, oh, you know, in this game plan for the LSU game, we came out firing, came out throwing. You're right, they did. But they used the same playbook, attitude, philosophy, just called some more passes. That's not really the same thing. I think Georgia's going to do that, or at least attempt to do that now, because we know what's happened now. Fromm has gone on to the NFL, and I don't blame him after that last year because he he regressed. I, I think he's got to feel like he's not going to have a higher stock than he is now, even if he comes back and has a good year. I don't know if that's true or not, but at the time, it was unclear exactly what Georgia was going to do. We now know what Georgia's going to do. Todd Munkin is in as the offensive coordinator, and remember, Munkin was the one who replaced Dana Holgerson as the OC at Oklahoma State. Munkin was the, the offensive coordinator at Oklahoma State for those really good Brandon Whedon teams, uh, or, or the last really good Brandon Whedon team, and had a good career there and then went on to the NFL. So he comes in with NFL experience and with experience in a wide-open college offense. That makes Georgia really interesting, especially with the addition of graduate transfer Jamie Newman, who was excellent at Wake Forest this year, got a little banged up as the season went on. But if he comes in and is playing as well as he was at the beginning of the 2019 season for Georgia in a more wide-open offense with George Pickens to throw to, all of a sudden, 
you may have something going on offense in Athens. We might have what we, we hear on the Andy Staples show call Fun Georgia for an entire season. That would be pretty incredible. But we will see. I, I, I don't know. But while we're on the subject of coaching overhauls, there was a staff this season that went into the season with very high expectations. In fact, at the end of the 2018 season, Texas beat Georgia in the Sugar Bowl. And remember, Sam Ellinger famously said that Texas was back. Texas was not back, as we learned. This was a five-loss team. Now, they did finish strong with a win against Utah in the bowl game, but nobody was happy with the way things went. The quote from Tom Herman that stuck out the most this year was something he was asked after the Iowa State game. Did they get out coached? And he answered pretty quickly on that one. No, I'd, I'd never say we got out coached. I think we continued to make adjustments. Um, and uh, they, they had a couple wrinkles that we adjusted to. And, um, you know, we, we um, felt like we were putting our guys in, in a good position. Um, I, it's really hard to tell, you know, uh, without watching the film, all of the answers to, to give to you. But um, uh, I know we, we felt like we were making um, some sound in-game adjustments. This is one of those where I'm glad I went back and looked through this stuff because that quote was very memorable. And I, I was thinking about that one as I was putting this together. I said, I got to have the, the Tom Herman, we didn't get out coached quote in there. And I'm glad I went back and, and looked at what happened in the days after that because, you know, when I when you listen to, to that quote again, you can tell the question hits them a certain way. And remember, they've just lost. And listen, that quote is bad for recruiting. It's bad for relations with your current players because when you're making that kind of money, you can't say, well, we did a perfect job, but the players screwed it all up. You, and that is what that came off as. Well, Herman got a chance to, you know, I don't know, get a mulligan, take another shot at it. But in his press conference a few days later, previewing the Baylor game, he came out, and this was unprompted. And I think it adds some good context to the situation. I do want to clarify something. It's been eating at me for two days. And, um, you know, Brian, you had asked me post-game about being outcoached. And I had taken that to be, you know, hey, were we fooled, were we, were we um, uh, tricked, duped, whatever it is, and, and I didn't feel that way. But when you lose a game, any game, you're outcoached. Um, and so I, I do want to clarify um, kind of the context of, of what I understood that question to be. And, um, but any time you lose a game, um, you're outcoached. Uh, and from player execution, that's our job, to get them executed well, to play calls, to play um, tendencies, to you name it. Um, all of it uh, is, is on us. That was a lot more contrite and, and probably a lot more honest an answer there because you're not in the heat of the moment. You, you do fully have a chance to grasp what the question meant, and... The thing is, it didn't help. They went and lost to Baylor that week, and Texas was just in a weird situation. Now, they have undergone a staff overhaul. Tim Beck is out as offensive coordinator. Todd Orlando out as defensive coordinator. In on offense is Mike Yersich, who was at Ohio State and Oklahoma State. So 
experience-wise, he'll fit very well in what Tom Herman wants to do offensively. He'll understand the league very well. That's good. Chris Ash in as the defensive coordinator. Chris Ash and Tom Herman worked together at Ohio State as well. Ash, of course, got fired as the Rutgers head coach this past year. This is your get-out-of-jail-free card if you're Tom Herman. And I'm surprised it's happening now. I'm surprised it's happening this fast because if things don't go well after this, there's no real turning back. Now, they've got Sam Ellinger back. They've got a much older team. Maybe this next year's the one they turn it around. But it's it's really shocking that they are in this position so soon after having a breakthrough year. So we'll see how it goes. But it is, it's been a tough time at, at Texas other than the one year for Tom Herman. And it's a tough job, which he knew when he took it. Did Chip Kelly know that UCLA was going to be as tough of a job when he took it? That, that's another question. This is a guy who was unstoppable at Oregon. And when, when he came back to college, I did wonder, though, was he going to have another innovation? Because remember, he's one of the, the sport's great disruptors. When they changed the clock rules is when he instituted the blur offense at Oregon. No one knew what to do with that. No one understood how to stop it. While he was in the NFL, everybody figured out how to deal with it. Everybody copied it offensively. So when he got back, what he did at Oregon was pretty commonplace. Now, he had picked up some stuff in the NFL, and he, he'd been trying to do it with, with UCLA the past two years, but it, it's, not, it's not quite working. And no bowl game yet. I don't know where it goes from here, but they've got to get better. You know, I, They've paid a lot of money to fire Jim Mora. They thought they had a slam dunk hire in Chip Kelly, and i got to be honest, everybody thought that. It's not like anybody thought Chip Kelly would go into UCLA and struggle, but he has. He's not lost his sense of humor, though. In October, they beat Arizona State. Their record was not great, but their record in the league at the time was good enough that you know they were mathematically in the hunt for the Pac-12 South title, and he was asked about that. You're going to love this one. You, right. con- <laughs> you, control, your own, you control your own destiny in the Pac-12 South. Yeah. Do you do you tell your team this? No, because to be honest with you, grammatically, destiny is a predetermined set of events, and if it's a predetermined set of events, you can't control it. Think about that one. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. He's joking, guys. I know that people took that quote as him being pedantic or talking down. You hear it. He's joking. He's kidding. And it's funny. He's right. <laughs> the definition of destiny is a predetermined set of events. So he's, he's got that right. It's one of those pet peeve things for reporters because you don't actually control your destiny. You have control over the eventual outcome. Uh, but that doesn't sound nearly as sexy. But they did have some control over that outcome but did not finish the season well enough to, to take advantage of it. And I, I am very curious to see what happens going forward at UCLA because this was supposed to be so much different and so much easier and it has been so hard so we'll see where Chip Kelly goes from here but we go now to a guy who kind of was the the man of destiny for this season Ed Orgeron the head coach of the LSU Tigers he had been trying to figure out a formula on offense since he got the job he brings in Joe Brady a previously unknown New Orleans Saints, essentially a quality control guy. 
Brady, who was 29 when he was hired, teams with longtime LSU coach Steve Insminger to run the most exciting offense in college football, maybe the most exciting offense in college football history. Now, part of this is the maturation of Joe Burrow. Part of this is the maturation of some excellent receivers. Part of this is them realizing how special of a back they had in Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. But it all culminated in Tuscaloosa because, remember, LSU had not beaten Alabama since November 2011. The 9-6 overtime game in Tuscaloosa. We call it the game of the century. It was a number one versus number two game. It was boring as hell even though there was great defense being played. This game was not boring as hell. It was Tua and Joe Burrow slinging it back and forth. Tua threw a long bomb touchdown toward the end to give Alabama a chance at an onside kick to maybe get back in right right at the very end. But LSU ends up winning the game, gets the Alabama monkey off its back, and somebody, some LSU player, decided to live stream our man, Ed Orgeron, in the locker room. Now, that's probably not the the wisest idea because, you know, the locker room, before anybody walks in, sort of a special private place where you can say things that you maybe wouldn't say if you knew that the world was listening. Well, here's what Ed Orgeron said. Change the narrative. Yes, sir. We're going to beat their ass in recruiting. We're going to beat their ass every time they see us. Oh, God. You understand that? Yes, sir. Roll tight. What? F*** you. Yeah! But you know what? That's how he feels. That's what he thinks. Now, obviously, he respects Nick Saban and respects the, the job that Alabama does, but that's how you're supposed to feel when you're the coach at LSU. And... He's not kidding. I mean, he said it when he got the job. We coming. Well, they got here. They arrived. They won the national title. They beat Alabama and Tuscaloosa. And this feels like a more even matchup going forward. Now, the question for LSU, obviously, how much of this was a lightning in a bottle situation because of Joe Burrow, because of Joe Brady? Remember, Dave Aranda is now gone, the defensive coordinator. He's now the head coach at Baylor. Brady is gone. He's going to be the offensive coordinator for Matt Rule with the Carolina Panthers. Matt Rule left Baylor, which opened the job for Dave Miranda, of course. So a lot of change coming to Baton Rouge, and they're going to have to manage that. And, and that, that'll be the test long-term for Ed Orgeron as a head coach. But given the way he's handled the job so far, I think I have a lot of confidence in him to hire good people to keep this program rolling, especially in recruiting. He, he mentioned that specifically in the locker room, that they were going to out-recruit Alabama. And I think they've done a decent job getting there. That 29 nothing game in Baton Rouge when Alabama beat them in 2018, that was, that was a huge eye-opener. But I remember talking to Orgeron earlier in this season about that, and he said he felt like they had already started recruiting along the line of scrimmage well enough to close that gap. They just weren't ready to do that last season. Those guys weren't ready to do it on the field. Those guys were clearly ready to do it on the field this season. Their offensive and defensive lines were outstanding at LSU. So I, I thought that was just a really beautiful moment in that locker room. And yeah, people got mad because of what he said, and, and it, it doesn't sound respectful to the opponent, but that's what people say in locker rooms, guys. That's the real stuff right there. And you know what? They're going to be putting that 
all over the lockers and in the weight room in Alabama this offseason. I guarantee you that. And it's going to make this rivalry even more intense because it is now really a rivalry again. And you know who wins when that happens? All of us who get to watch it. But we'll move now to one that still isn't a rivalry that, that should be. Michigan and Ohio State, I you know, keep waiting for Michigan to break back in. And it keeps not happening. And I know it's frustrating for Michigan fans because it, it's got to feel at this point like it's never going to happen. Because you, you think, okay, you're going to wait out Urban Meyer. He's this you know, historically great coach. But if he leaves, then there's a chance. The same damn thing happened again this year. And I was at the game, went to the, the Jim Harbaugh press conference afterwards. There was a very testy exchange between Harbaugh and a TV reporter. And it's just one of those that you got to hear it and then kind of understand where Harbaugh is coming from. Is this a talent gap? Is it a preparation gap? Is it a coaching gap? What is the biggest difference between you and Ohio State at this point? I mean, I'll answer your questions, not your insults. So That wasn't an insult. I mean, you give them 118 points in two years. They played really good. They played good. Yards. That's why I'm asking. What's, what's the biggest difference in the gap between you guys? I found it interesting when the guy was asking about different gaps that the thing that made Harbaugh's head snap around was when he said coaching gap, not when he said talent gap. The 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 reason is probably a talent gap. It's it's pretty glaring when you look at recruiting rankings and and the talent index that that twenty four seven puts out. You know, Ohio State has recruited at, at an elite level. There were only a couple other schools that really even come close to where Ohio State's been. Michigan has recruited well, but when you look at it, Ohio State probably has a starting 22 that were all ranked higher than Michigan starting 22. And that's that's how you got to you got to look at it like that. How many Michigan starters would start at Ohio State? And the answer is not many. And Harbaugh took offense though at the coaching gap part of it. That's why he said, you know, I'll answer your questions and not your insults. But he just I, I don't know that they, they want to swim in the same waters as Ohio State from a recruiting standpoint. You don't really see them competing for players very much on the recruiting trail. And until that happens, I, I don't know where you go. You know, Michigan is well coached. They have good players. I mean, a guy like Cam McGrone is fantastic. He had a great year, kind of a breakout season for him. But really the only way to close that gap if you're going to recruit the way they recruit is you have to have a really special quarterback. You have to have a guy who is so good that he closes the gap for you. And we just haven't seen that with Michigan yet. Now, Shea Patterson is gone. It appears that Harbaugh is going to go with a guy he recruited out of high school. We'll see whether it's Dylan McCaffrey, Joe Milton, how that works out. But you know, it's it's been an interesting set of circumstances for the quarterbacks at Michigan under Harbaugh. He, he got Jake Rudock as a, dra- a grad transfer early on. Uh, he tried with John O'Corn, who was a transfer. Uh, Shane Morris was a guy who signed with Michigan out of high school, but that didn't quite work out, and he wound up transferring. Patterson was pretty good, and actually I thought they came around in Josh Gaddis's offense toward the end of the season. Really, from the second half of the Penn State game on, it felt like they kind of figured out what they wanted to be offensively, and they were more playing into the strengths of, of Shea Patterson and a really good receiving core but they're just not on the level of Ohio State. And you saw it in that game where Michigan made a couple mistakes 
and then it was almost over. I mean, it was there, there was no chance unless you played a perfect game. You cannot go into a rivalry situation where you got to play a perfect game every time. You, you can't do that. You need to be able to make a mistake or two because it's a football 60-minute game with a bunch of players. There's 11 guys on the field at a time. You're going to make some mistakes. You need to give yourself some room there. But Michigan does not have room for mistakes against Ohio State, and that's the situation they're in. And, you know, it's it's tough, but we'll see what Harbaugh does from here because he's got to find a way to close that gap. They're winning most of the time. They're winning the games they're supposed to win. But it's time to start figuring out how to win the games that you're not always supposed to win. That is the next step. Otherwise, they're just going to be on this plateau kind of Bo Pelini at Nebraska style, and I'm not sure that's going to satisfy anybody. What was satisfying, though, Joe Burrow's Heisman acceptance speech. We, we go now to, to the end of the season, and uh, we knew Joe Burrow was going to win the Heisman probably after the Alabama game, but listening to him talk about playing for Ed Orgeron, playing at LSU, being embraced by everyone there, it was, it was beautiful. I've I've learned to to love crawfish and gumbo, and you know during crawfish during crawfish season we coach O makes sure we got we have pounds and pounds and pounds of crawfish during that year. Um, coach O. You have no idea what you mean to my family. You know, I didn't play for three years. You took a chance on me. Not knowing if I could play or not. And I'm forever in your... Forever grateful for you. Can you imagine a guy like Coach O giving me the keys to to his football program? He just means so much to me and my family. And to LSU. I sure hope they give him a lifetime contract. He deserves it. <laughs> That is Joe Burrow accepting the Heisman Trophy. He actually made some money for a food bank in, in Athens, Ohio with that speech and, and helped a lot of people out. And I, it, just, it was an incredible story watching him become a complete rock star. And one of my enduring images of the season will be him sitting on that couch after the national championship game smoking that cigar because he had come in and done everything – that he'd ever dreamed of. He'd had maybe the best season a quarterback has ever had. And just that look of mission accomplished, the job, the job I came to do is done. I guarantee you that image will last forever in the minds of LSU fans. It was pretty spectacular. So 
Uh, congratulations to Joe Burrow, and we are going to miss you in college football. Good luck. Uh, good luck as a Cincinnati Bengal. I think you're gonna you're gonna wish you got to keep the other tiger stripes for another year, but that's okay. I I just I I was so glad that we got to see that season because we may not see another one like it anytime soon. Uh, one season that was fairly similar to the one last year with a little little bit of improvement was Florida. Uh, they won ten games in Dan Mullen's first year. This season they came in, lost to LSU at LSU, played pretty well in that game. Lost to Georgia. Didn't feel like they were really in it, even though they had a chance to tie it in the fourth quarter. They won the other 11. They are very much in the win the games you're supposed to win and trying to figure out how to, how to take that next step. And I thought Dan Mullen had a really great quote to Molly McGrath after the Orange Bowl because I'm not sure most coaches who haven't been at that level. And Mullen was at that level when he was working with Urban Meyer. Uh, He's been sort of hanging around that level when he was the head coach at Mississippi State. I'm not sure most coaches understand what comes next. And him saying this leads me to believe that maybe he does, and that's probably positive for Florida. You told me you came to Florida to win a championship. You're Orange Bowl champs. What's next, Coach? Well, you know, hey, we got to get back. We're going to enjoy this for a day or two. Uh, heck of a year. The 2019 Gator football team was really special. You know, to come out, going to finish as a top 10 team, uh, maybe even a top 5 team. Uh, you know, Orange Bowl champions. That's really special. And uh, the 2020 team will be born in about two weeks. And if we want to go from 11 to 12, it's a lot harder to go from 11 to 12 than it is to go from 10 to 11. He's exactly right about that. What Florida wants to do is be where Georgia is. What Georgia wants to do is be where LSU is. And the steps for each of those things are the hardest steps you can take. And we'll see who does it. Uh, it feels like that Florida-Georgia series is, is about to reach a critical mass because two good years for Mullen already – now come the the expectations that he knew were coming because he's been at Florida when they've been competing for national titles. And Kirby Smart dealing with those expectations, already dealing with disappointment that he hasn't won a national title yet, even though he's been there four years and he did come one miracle bomb away from winning a national title. That's just life in the SEC. Mullen understands it. I know Smart understands it too. That one's going to be a fun one to watch as we go forward in 2020 Florida Georgia could be an epic epic game and for that rivalry I hope so it's gonna be the biggest thing going if you get those two teams playing essentially for the SEC East they did it this year it felt kind of anticlimactic during the game if it if we could get to the point where it feels like they're fairly even and it didn't feel like they were even despite the closeness of the score. It felt like Georgia was still a little bit ahead in the talent department. If they can get it where it feels even, that is going to be an epic rivalry. Maybe Florida gets there. Mullins certainly seems to get what it's going to take. Another guy who, who really gets what it's going to take is a lightning rod. P.J. Fleck, you know, you talk to other coaches. I'm not sure there's a coach in America who gets dumped on more by other coaches. They just don't like him. And I, I listen, I get that you think he's sticky with the whole row the boat stuff, but 
that's his personality. He speaks in slogans. If you ask him how he's doing, he's going to tell you he's elite. That is just his personality. It's not artificial. That's the part I think people miss. That's who he is. You may not like it, but he's being genuine. And the other thing that that sort of covers up, which is probably bad for P.J. Fleck, is that he is one of the better program builders you'll find. He is not a come-in, coach somebody else's guys well, and then doesn't really recruit and just sort of falls off. You look at Western Michigan and you look at Minnesota, he's come in and built up. And look at the way Minnesota finished this season. Auburn came into the Outback Bowl. Everybody played. That was a ferocious NFL defensive line that Minnesota had to play. Derek Brown was one of the best players in the country this season. Marlon Davidson's awesome. Big Cat Bryant is the kind of guy who gets to wear number one as a defensive end and go by Big Cat on the roster. So that tells you how talented he is. Minnesota's offensive line manhandled those guys at the end of that game. Manhandled them. And that is building. That's what that is. You don't do that just by inheriting and, and saying, okay, here's some good ball plays. It doesn't work that way. It was really impressive, and it leads me to believe that this Minnesota thing was not a fluke and not a flash in the pan, that P.J. Flex got something going there. Let's hear what he said to his team in the locker room after that Outback Bowl. Hey, man, how about them Gophers? Guys, listen, I'm so proud of you. One thing I love about all you, yeah, we won the game. We expected to win that football game. That's what I love about you, the the confidence you had, the poise you had, and the adversity you had to be able to come through that, guys. I'm very proud of you. We talked before the game, right? We said before the game, we're playing a blue blood program. There's a lot of people out there that don't think you're a blue blood program. We said we were going to be able to restore this. That's what the word restore was all year. Talk about that framework at the beginning of the year, being able to show people what we're actually doing here. And it just proves that the culture, guys, the culture you're creating is different. It's unique. It can take average men to elite and elite men to greater heights. That was P.J. Fleck in the locker room. Sorry about the music, but that's uh, that's how these programs roll when they get their locker room video. They're going to swell with the dramatic music. But listen, the Golden Gophers earned whatever they wanted to put in their locker room video because they had a fantastic season And they were one of the great stories of the season. But I've said this a couple times. The story of the season was LSU. That program, which went from, are we going to fire Les Miles? No, we're not. We're going to keep him. Oh, no, wait, we're going to fire him. Should we keep the interim at Orgeron, who's from Louisiana and would, would crawl across 10 miles of broken glass for this job? Or should we hire some hot name? They keep Ed Orgeron. Joe Burrow comes as a grad transfer from Ohio State, he has a, a an okay first year as the starter. And then they put him with this wonderkin coach, Joe Brady, who nobody had ever heard of before that. It, it is a truly amazing story. And Rashard Lawrence, the defensive end from LSU, I talked to him on the field after the national title game, and I thought he really summed it all up beautifully. So let's listen to Rashard Lawrence on the field after the national title game, talking about how they got there. To be honest, we never really looked, you know, into the future, and we just worked every day, man. Uh, he put, Coach O put 
great coaches and you know he hired great coaches, recruited at a high level. He took a chance on Joe Burrow. So a lot of things fell in place, but he, he put it he put it together. It's all him. Can, can you when you look back at everything that's happened, can you believe it all happened the way it did? You're, I mean, it's almost like a fairy tale. It is. I mean, you look at a guy like Joe Burrow, never been to Louisiana in his life, takes a chance. A lot of guys from the state of Louisiana, but then you look at it, and we all came together. And I mean, the fish in the New Orleans, you can't write it no better than that. Well, that puts a nice bow on it, doesn't it? That, that is the way the story should end right there. And I want to thank you for listening throughout the 2019 season. It's been a lot of fun getting this podcast rolling. I hope we're giving you something great to listen to. I hope you feel like we can be your companion on your drive to work or when you're out walking the dog on Sunday mornings during the season when you're making breakfast. I love when you send me the pictures of what you're making as you listen on Sunday mornings during the football season. We're not stopping here. We'll be turning the page to 2020. We'll be back on Monday and we'll be looking ahead. Thanks so much for listening. It's only going to get better from here.